It's the story of a Jamaican country boy who comes to the big city with dreams of becoming a reggae star, but ends up exploited by the music industry, cheated by the drug trade, and eventually gunned down by the police. It's Jamaica's first feature film, a cult classic, and is widely credited with introducing reggae to the world. It's The Harder They Come, and it's our first movie in the Hornpod Film Club. The Hornpod Film Club? Wow! We've got a film club! I'm J.J. Loy. Oh, and I'm Matt Wixon. And we have a very special guest for our very first episode, Heather Augustin. How you hey, doing? Hey, everyone. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for being back with us. Thanks. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here, especially for this inaugural podcast quite honored Ooh, yeah and now <laughs> the, the the maiden voyage the <laughs> horn pod film club uh, <laughs> we've, been, we've been kicking around this idea for a little while and we finally got the gumption to to, to yeah. really kick it off and um, because jj and i both love movies and i feel like there's a lot of movies that like kind of fit with with the ska scene mm-hmm. too yeah. and maybe some that, that aren't as obvious as others mm-hmm. yeah definitely. i think this is an obvious place to start though right it is. It's the first movie that was filmed in Jamaica. So, well, I mean, parts were the first, the first Jamaican full, production. Full. Right, right, right. Yeah, because we've got like Doctor No and things like that. But yeah, so it's kind of a big deal. So. Doctor No. Yeah. <laughs> we should put Doctor No on the list. <laughs> put that on. Yep. Byron Lee. Well, that's part of it. As as we do this film club, I definitely want to be hearing from the audience. I want to hear recommendations. What movies should we be doing? Yeah, it's not just going to be sky. I want to do reggae. I want to do punk. I want to do all the movies. Oh God, that, like, you want to do punk? Hold on a second. Kinda. I'm not. You know, I'm not saying which punk movies, but I think I think maybe a couple of punk movies might uh, all right, be important. Maybe. All right, maybe. <laughs> uh, we do have a list already uh, that we've started. It will take us like if we do one a month, which is our plan, uh, will take us through the rest of the year at least, right? At least, nice. yeah. Uh, but we would love to add more to it, and um, I, I think there's already something I've put on the list that I would like to take off the list because I regret putting it <laughs> on the list. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how many how many movies we want to watch and talk about. Maybe we'll do all of these movies and then just be like, no. No, that was worth wa- that was worth watching, but it's definitely you know. Yeah, we might call audibles on some in the middle. You know? Uh, but yeah, we might also be having some new listeners joining us for the first time just because of this film club. And so, uh, welcome if this welcome. is your first episode. I definitely want to recommend like maybe checking out some back episodes. Maybe the one that Heather was on where we inducted her and her first book into the Scott Canon itself. The first book ever inducted into oh, the Scott Cannon. We did. I forgot we put that, her book in the Scott Cannon. That was so awesome, oh. guys. Thank you. <laughs> We've had some fun on the show in the past. If For those who don't know Heather, she has written uh, 11,000 books about <laughs> Jamaican music. And she knows everybody that is still alive that has stories. And she's talked to all of them. And and it's amazing uh, the stories and the history that she's preserved in all of her books. It's not eleven thousand, no. but it's like eight, maybe. What do you? Eight. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, it's Damn. eight. Yeah, uh, you're good. You have a new one coming up, right? I do. In fact, um, it will be out on March eighth, International Women's Day. So 
Um, literally the only thing I have left to do is, and I was doing it right, but this podcast, frankly, is interrupting me from doing oh it, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but is, um, I'm just, uh, finalizing the index and then it's done and it's called rude girls, uh, women in two tone and one step beyond. So that's super fun. And there's over 50 women that I've interviewed for that book. So if you're thinking, wait, I can only name like two women or maybe two women plus the body snatchers or something like that, you're in for a treat because there are more than you than you know. And this is after you've already written the book Songbirds about Jamaican women in Jamaican right. music. Now right. you're taking it right. beyond to the other waves. That's right. Uh, th yeah, that was kind of my natural progression was like, well, then I'll go to the Scott Revival and um, and check that out. And the stories are pretty different, but then there are some similarities and stuff. And so it's, um, yeah, it's really interesting. Are you exposing the the seedy underbelly of the Scott world? <laughs> you know, I thought it would be like, you know, feminist rant galore, but it really isn't yeah. that at all. No? It's really... No, the it's the stories are super inspiring. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, of course, of course, there's horror stories. Of course, but... <laughs> it's gonna be a lot worse, <laughs> right? But no, it's pretty, it's pretty inspiring. And I Good. think that you know, you had mentioned punk earlier, and I think that that was that's kind of the the um the common thread is that all these women are like, you know, punk showed us that anyone can do anything. So yeah. thought, why not? And so yeah, and I, imag I imagine that the difference is like because two-tone was almost a branch of punk. Yeah. It's a totally different perspective than like exactly. Jamaican women had yep. at any point until right. maybe the 21st century in the music industry there. Exactly. Yeah. For for Jamaican women kind of as a whole, they were like yeah, we didn't we didn't have a voice and we weren't allowed to have a voice. And right. then for for women in two-tone era, they're like, yeah, we didn't have a voice. And so we got our own voice. You know, it's like this whole different kind of ethic. So uh -huh. same situation, different reaction, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, good way to put it. Yeah. Uh different technology, like social technology to handle handle the circumstances. Definitely. Definitely. How 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 one step beyond is that? Is it going into like modern day or is it still kind of just sticking in no, no. the 80s in the UK? So, yeah, it's definitely it's just the UK, like late 70s throughout the 80s. And of course, some of these bands continue. So it yeah, goes yeah. down. But, but the one step beyond is really like I can't really just stick with two tone, especially right. because then. OK, so. Like the body snatchers, then do I not talk about the bell stars? You're not limiting. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, and just kind of went from there. There's a couple that are a little bit tangents, but still connected, like Bow Wow Wow. For real? Yeah. I love them. <laughs> yeah, aren't they great? <laughs> and so they're not, you know, definitely not Scott, definitely not mm -hmm. Two-Tone, but toured with Two-Tone during those times and stuff and still a super compelling story. So I thought, yeah. I can I can do this. I'm gonna yeah, do it. It's justified. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I, and and honestly, if anybody's like, uh, you better not have Bow Wow Wow in this book. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, then, yeah. <laughs> Who's gatekeeping Bow Wow Wow? Show it to me. Yeah. No. Nobody's. Yeah. And I say I don't want to see that person that would say that. I want to tell it to my face. No. <laughs> but yeah, there's a few in there that I know are really obscure, and then some that are more well-known, like the Go-Go's and Bananarama. They mm -hmm. were 
you know, awesome. they were involved in two tone. So absolutely. Um, so, okay. So do you like people to find your books on Amazon or do you want them going somewhere else to find um, your stuff? You know, either way, I'm not, if anybody wants to read my book, I'm grateful. So uh, okay. whatever, but I will be selling them um, through my website. I just have to get that going before then. Um, because if you buy it through me, um, Chuck Wren's going to be doing a free sampler for, I'm not sure how many, like the first couple hundred um, purchases. So we're going to, he's going to. Like he did with Mark's book. Exactly. Hell yeah. Oh, sweet. Yep. So he's going to be doing that. So he's in the process of putting that together right now, which will be great. Um, the link is skybook.com and it's there. It's just that the, the um, link to make the purchase is not active yet. Because I'm not doing any pre-sales. Yeah, I'm not doing any pre-sales. So March 8th, it'll drop. All right. So we are here to talk about The Harder They Come. I assume we have all seen this movie before, correct? Oh, God. You wanted me to watch it before the episode? No, I mean yes, before <laughs> this viewing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I had seen it. Like For instance, I saw this movie when I was like 17, when I tracked down the VHS. Yeah. Um, I... I I don't think I saw it until I was probably in my early 20s. Okay. But yeah, probably about the same for me. And then I saw they did uh, in Chicago, they actually did a screening for another show called Sound Opinions. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that here because I don't, but anyway. You can say anything. <laughs> Is that an NPR another music, show? Another music show. I didn't know if they were competitors or something. No. I didn't oh, want to give shit. them. No, we're our own competitors. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Is it. Sound Opinions an NPR show? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess I guess I consider us competitors with NPR. I don't yeah, know. there you go. See? We're both talking into microphones, are we not? We both have dot orgs, <laughs> don't we? I think that you are at that level. I was, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So they did a screening in Chicago. The Music Box and Chuck Wren actually hosted it, so he introduced them, and everything it was pretty cool. Um, that was Greg Cotton, Jim DeRogatis, and they screened it. And I seem to remember it was a sold out screening. It was, it was pretty good about five years ago, but I think the reason why they did it. And the reason why, if I can make an assumption, why we're having this discussion today is because the music in this movie is absolutely bonkers. I mean, the, the soundtrack and, and they go through like five songs in the first five minutes too. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah. But that soundtrack is really, um, I think, responsible for putting Jamaica and reggae on the map um, in many ways, pre pre Bob Marley. And I think that was almost the purpose of the movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it was it was almost a long form, a long form commercial for the Jamaican music industry, almost. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, because it even opens with like these beautiful scenes of you know, like beaches and well, I wonder because that opening scene, we see a lot of palm trees with their tops cut off. Like it's not exactly idyllic oh. either. Oh, like oh, yeah. It's beachy, but it's also like something Oh, yeah. it's definitely it's definitely yeah. not a tourism movie. No, <laughs> let's, no, no. Let's get yeah, that no, clear. no. Uh, yeah, no, no. But I think it's like because Trojan funded this, right? Am I making that up? Oh, I've never heard this. Or I mean, I I mean, Island. I don't know. I don't know who. 
shunned it. I, I could be wrong. Maybe maybe it was just the. I mean, obviously they they promoted the soundtrack, but I thought that they were involved with the production of the film as well. Okay, man, we are. <laughs> We're already off okay. to a stumbling start. On Wikipedia, the Harder They Come soundtrack <laughs> is on Island Records, okay? I Okay, I so yeah, I'm also on Wikipedia, produced by Perry Hensel, uncredited Chris Blackwell. Interesting. Okay, I love if it. He was, if he's an uncredited producer, then he partially paid for this film. Um, yeah, and he, even more to the point that we need to watch Dr. No now, because... Uh, I feel like he's part of that story as well. He right? is part of that story as well. <laughs> I don't. All right. Heather is scrambling through notes right I now. Am... Looking to refute Matt's. Because I'm like, what, <laughs> what the heck? Well, I mean, I know I thought that. It is weird, though, that it's it, it, so you're saying it's, he was kind of like a silent partner. And like I'm saying that uh, in the research I did, his name didn't come up. So. Well, um, I was thought he, that was like, he trying to keep his name off of it. Uh, I well, that I mean, I don't know that. I don't think it was anything, in my opinion. I don't think it was anything, I think it was after the fact. Kind of starting from the beginning, I guess. Like we were saying, uh, we see we see this this bus kind of driving from the country into the city. Yeah, carrying our hero like he's a regular Axl Rose coming from <laughs> Indiana into the jungle. Uh, yeah, and it is it is kind of a welcome to the jungle kind of scene we see here at the first. I mean, yeah, it is. I think we've seen it in a few in a few other movies. Yeah, um, this kind of like you step off the bus and you're immediately hustled. Right, 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 right. I want to say the word burgled. He was burgled. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he was Yeah, he loses all his shit right off the bat. He's got a mango for his mother and he loses yeah. that too. Right. right. Um, <laughs> oh but what we what we really see is this kind of like documentary style of Kingston. Yeah. And I don't know if it's ever said in the movie. Do they say it's Kingston in the movie? I I don't even Yeah, I don't know. They must have mentioned it before he's leaving country to go into sit into the city. Okay, right. I bet, but I mean the audience is the audience. This was meant for I think meant for Jamaican audience. So I think they exactly. they would have known even you know I don't even think they had to say it, but the audiences would have been aware of this story too. The story is the story of of Ivan Martin is a story that they would have known because this was based upon a mythological slash real story well okay i don't mean to interrupt but that brings us to our first phone call from greg k here in st louis hey jj and matt and just finished my homework assignment of uh watching the harder they come this is uh greg by the way um the big question to you know kind of get the ball rolling is uh from everything i've uh seen and read about the harder they come this movie is uh, based on the uh, legend of uh, Ragan. So, uh, yeah, what, what what can you guys tell me about uh, Ragan? I'd like to know a little more. Yeah. Big fan of the show. First time uh, caller, long time listener. Thank you very much. Yeah, Heather, like, please tell us what you know about this this kind yeah. of urban legend of Ragan. Ragan. Yeah. So it was well. So so that 
everybody can take their stab at pronouncing it themselves. Um, <laughs> but there, there's a real person that was really named Ivan Martin. So this is, our main character is Ivanhoe, or Ivan Martin, and it's based upon this real guy. But Rygin is R-H-Y-G-I-N. Um, and sometimes there's another G on the end, some, like Ryging. It was, the, the, the character that Jimmy Cliff is playing, I just want everybody to know, it's, this is a fictional story, clearly, the, the harder they come. But it is based right. on this story of, you know, kind of like an outlaw. and Kind of a Jamaican Robin Hood almost, right? Yeah, yeah, kind of. But like a, a guy that, you know, didn't deserve, that guy, you know, like, encountered a lot of you know just couldn't get a leg up just couldn't get you know trying hard working hard trying to do all the right things and he just gets taken advantage of and then he you know kind of has it and turns to kind of the underworld so but that's it, it is based on a real story that took place in in well he September. went on the run after shooting a cop right isn't that yeah, the, the yeah. true part of it well yeah kind of i mean it was in in 1948 he was in the real ivan martin was in prison and he is he escaped from prison so he wasn't in prison for murder he was in prison for um for for stealing for theft burglaring of the yes another burglar Mm -hmm. he had burgled he was guilty of burgling um and so he jumped out of uh the window of of i guess it was not very secure prison and um and he was on the run from like April until late August in 1948. So um, he became kind of like, you know, like a Bonnie and Clyde kind of a thing where he was on folk hero. Exactly. Like they knew that this was kind of the, the Jamaican hero. It would make for a good Jamaican hero. But anyway, yeah. So he, they, they, the cops, two cops ended up cornering him at the, uh, at a hotel in Kingston and he had two guns, you know, blazing just like in the harder they come and he came out shooting and he did end up shooting, you know, one of them and ended up Was he in his underwear like in the movie? He was in his under he was in his underwear. I'm not really? kidding. You. I was I kidding. Not, oh my god. Nope, nope, nope. So uh, so the newspaper accounts um that they like in 2000 the year 2000 the gleaner like did a a series on it kind of looking back at it and through their archives and it says after he had escaped from the hotel wearing only an underpants and barefooted (laughs) how far could he get so yeah but he he came out shooting in his underwear that's amazing yes so I guess like stuff like that is 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 based on the fact like the the underwear, the shootout, the hotel. Yeah. But the stuff that they added was the reggae music, the the recording of the song and the the kind oh, of making yeah. a hit and infamy out of that. Right, definitely. Um, yeah, the whole like sound. Well, I mean, we know that that the sound system producer, I mean, you can tell that's like but that's not part of the original folk tale. But it definitely is Jamaican culture through and yeah. through. You can just tell <laughs> this is like Duke Reed or Cox and Dodd, big time. Yeah, it's a very time and a place. It's definitely not the 40s. It's not the telling of, of Reagan. It's not no. like a period piece in that sense. It is a 
slice of 1971, 72. All right. So, so yeah, he gets ripped off by this push cart vendor in, in, in the city. And yep. he immediately that night tracks down his mother kind of in the, like a shanty, shanty yard. Yeah. Like trench town or something like that. Yeah. It feels yeah. Like. yeah. And she's, she's not very sympathetic. She's got kind of a, yep. a real cold heart towards him a bit. Yeah. Because well, she's hard. She's, I don't think she's cold. I think she's hard. Well, I think it's like her mom had just died and he was living with his grandma, her mom, mm-hmm. and they had, and she had just died. And, and he says, you know, grandma, basically like, you know, grandma died and she, I, you know, we had to pay for the funeral and this is, and she's like, is there any money left? You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's, she's like, why didn't you guys, why didn't you tell me that she died? I would come for the funeral while well, we tried. Okay. Do we have any money left? So yeah. She's right. Pretty yeah. Cool. It's, it's, there's a pragmatism to it. But yeah, it's not a yeah. greed thing. It's like that's what I was no. gonna say. It's like it's survival. Like she, she literally doesn't have any dollars. She would right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, and you say the word survival, Heather, and I think that really is it. Is it's the first whiff that this movie is about a different set of priorities. Right. Um, and we're going to I think we're going to be challenged with that as the plot goes on. I don't you know, like I think um, what do you have to do to survive is a question, you know, that 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 is in the music and in the movie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and especially like how desperate do you get when every attempt that you make, you know, people are taking advantage of you and you are just trying to survive. That's kind of the heart mm. at, the, you know, what's at the heart of this movie. Right. And what what does it mean like when asserting yourself means life or death too? You know, yeah. Just, yeah. Just stating your your own claim to your own life. Right. Maybe ends another or hurts another. But not not to add too much to to that. Like it it is a simple scene and and I don't know, kind of an awkward little scene too. I um uh it's one of the few scenes where you can tell that there's a a set. It feels a little bit more performed. Because the next couple of scenes, uh, you see Ivan approach a few guys in the yard and tell him, hey, he's heard about the movies. He wants to go see the movies at the Rialto. And they go see a cowboy movie. And then they go to kind of a card house, maybe arcade slash casino kind of thing. Yeah. And you really get the uh, another taste. Like uh, the first one was on the city streets of Kingston. But now you get the sense that things are just kind of happening as they would normally happen. And the camera right. is just there. A lot of that is how the film was actually made, though, too. Exactly. Because, because there wasn't a lot of script for a lot of these scenes. And a lot of it was just these guys kind of like finding their own way through whatever they thought the scene should be. Yes. But more than that, the director has a realist style. And okay, oh, yeah. so I guess we're not just Scott podcasters. I went to film school, you all. I am a film school dropout. Nice. <laughs> and um, one of my one of my professors was a big fan of Cassavetes and the the realist style, the verite style of filmmaking. And um, I heard the director Perry Hensel talk about um, how there are kind of two types of directors: those who who set up the action for the camera and those who set up the camera and let the action happen in front of, you know? Yeah. 
And and right off the bat, you get this sense that, that from the from this card room that a lot of people in this room maybe they know there's a camera there, but they don't know there's a movie being made. You right. Know? Yeah. And and there's maybe like five people on camera that are like acting or even maybe just like aware that they're making the movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's very much in in the environment. And I don't know. It's just very fly on the wall, and it's yeah. I feel like it's very important to the like aesthetic of this. Like you can call yeah. this movie cheap. Or you can say like, oh, it's like not well performed. But I, I want to like really like before we get into it and whatever criticisms we want to make, like it is a choice. Like this is like they're like they're it is a style yeah. and it is in a very American French filmmaking tradition yeah. <laughs> that I want to stand for. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. There are yeah, there are a lot of scenes that give that feel to it where you feel like you are like an interloper like you're just kind of like watching these things happen and that you right. you get and that's why you get the real flavor for Jamaican culture and Jamaican life through this movie Chevron the toner is like side what up beer we are drinking baby sham one baby sham for my girl wow 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 why my singer for the put I drink seven one I drink I drink a stuff beer a stuff this is a dark this is a dark movie and I don't mean that in a metaphorical sense. I mean it in a literal sense. Like the the way in the lighting. Yeah. Yeah, so mm -hmm. it's, it can be kind of hard to see. So I know the first time when I saw it on VHS, I thought like, "Oh, I need to adjust my contrast or something." But it's really not that. It's that the film um with I don't know, whatever they shot it on or the film itself or maybe it's just the the vintage of the film, but it's dark. And so it can be hard to see, like, especially in a movie theater. So it's kind of like you're a lot of times you're going like, what are they saying? And what am I looking at? Um, uh -huh. And then and then add to that, that that we're outside of that cultural realm of being able to identify with and connect with the film, too. It can be an odd experience to see this film. The one thing that connects me personally is the music. Right. I was just going to say, it's the, it's the obvious hook. It's yeah, the, it is. Yeah. You see Toots and the Maytals, like, record a song. Like it's, I mean, it's, yes. You know. I mean, that those that footage alone, like, is... So good. It melts my heart. I'm like, God, I wish yeah. I could be in that studio. I know. I want and more we are. Of that. And, and, there's, and there's no way that, like... I mean, sure, it wasn't a commercial success uh, globally, and it didn't... But, like, anybody who saw it, there's no way they didn't want more reggae in their life, you know? Right. So, right. Like, if no we're going to talk about things we would change about the movie right off the bat, the first thing I would do is be like this. The two studio scenes are amazing. I would put yeah. at least two more <laughs> of those in of, yeah. of yeah. local. I mean, of, of live Jamaican song recordings of like stuff that we know just just done live in the studio. Yeah. I think it would just be like and like I, I we're going to talk about even more legendary. Yeah. yeah, we're going to talk about rockers in a later episode, <laughs> and I'll say the same thing about the studio footage in that movie. It's just, oh, God, I want to be yeah. in that room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Jimmy Cliff footage in, in the studio is is equally as good, if not. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's different. It's, it's, di it's, it's good in a different way. It's like, it's so emotional. It's so emotional, that scene of him saying, Mm -hmm. the harder they come but yeah let's uh let's let's jump back here uh into the into the plot here uh so so ivan uh he um 
he wakes up on the street after after this night of hanging out and watching cowboy movies with the with the fellas. And uh, I guess he kind of hears on the radio that Hilton is the is the producer. Right. And so he goes right. goes to He's the Hilton the studio and kind of just hangs out outside and watches a uh, a vocal group kind of fail an audition for the for the producer who I guess is kind of Coxon, kind of Duke Reed, kind yeah, of kind just of a generic. Mashup. Yeah, he's yeah. kind of a mashup. Just a hard ass producer. Big, big American car driving producer. Ooh, didn't think about <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody else is really driving, are they? The cop and him. Yeah, that him and the cop. Yeah, that's something to note, you know, the big the big American car because that's a big deal. Yeah. Big status symbol. Yeah. Yeah. And a convertible, no less, too. So it's even oh, yeah. flashier, very flashy. The wealth. You get the sense that he's like a, a pillar of the community. And maybe you don't get that right off the bat, but by the end, you definitely get the sense that he is a somebody. Not the connotation that pillar. We, we think of pillar of the community being somebody that is ethical and moral. That is not what this guy is. He's connected. Okay, to fair. The, yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's I know not really that. giving back. You didn't. Yeah, you, <laughs> I know you didn't mean that. Oh, okay, no, you're right. I said wrong. But he is not a uh, he's not a pillar necessarily. No, he is an other that sees the truth somehow. What am I? What am I missing? I'm not smart enough. <laughs> well, he's he's connected to he's connected to the CD underbelly of the city too. I think mm-hmm. so that he because it's all he sees that it's all connected. It's all connected. Right. He's speaking to the ecosystem of it all in right. right. a balance. Also, right. he's he's kind of like he kind of seems like he's just like a, a gangster in his own yes. right. Like, oh, yeah. like a mafioso kind of way. Not just like yeah, a thug. Definitely. Like he's he's like a Don. He's a Don. Yeah. <laughs> because like he's got right. that like that relationship with the cops and he's got that relationship with the actual thugs. And He's the one getting rich on all of it. No, and that is right. what uh, I think a lot of people forget this about the Godfather is he is the Godfather. He's not the mob boss. He's the Godfather. He's the one that does you the favors. Right. And gets the results. And, right. and and there is a compassionate side to being the mob boss. So, yeah, I, I think I think, yeah, it is kind of a. Yeah. Uh, a both he's bringing people up, but also exploiting them at the same time. Right? And that's right. very true to. I mean, I don't know. I can't speak to how true that is to any part of the story, but that's very true to the Jamaican music industry to have uh, a record producer have oh, yeah. be like that monolith of just power and wealth, uh, dictator of taste. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Duke Reed used to be a cop. Right, right. You know, Duke Reed was a cop and he, you know. He carried a gun all on his side, he carried, right? <laughs> yeah, he carried the guns at his side as bandoliers, and he was connected to the gangs at that time too. You know, like the the Spanglers or whatever the, the gangs he was connected to. Mm-hmm. You know, and so was Coxon. So it's 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 uh, not an unfamiliar character to to Jamaican audiences. This guy would have been somebody, and I do think that there are elements in both Coxon and Duke Reed that are present in that character that Jamaican audiences would have recognized, but they couldn't, you know, they couldn't make it too much like one or the other. Otherwise it would have yeah. been too recognizable. And if you notice in the studio and I don't want to jump ahead in the plot, but in the studio, please, his assistant that's sitting next oh, to yeah. him 
this Chinese yeah. Jamaican. You want to say it? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. It's Leslie Kong. That's Beverly's. That's Beverly's. And so that's Leslie Kong. That's really him. And this would have been about a year or less before he died, before Leslie Kong died. Mm -hmm. So this was something when I saw him, I went, oh, holy hell, that is that (laughs) Leslie Kong. And then I started like looking at the dates and looking at like, when was this, when would this have been filmed? When was this released? All that. And so it was released like, because I think Leslie Kong died in 72. And this was, this came out in 72, but it would have been filmed before that. And, and sure enough, if you go on like IMDb, it says Leslie Kong uncredited. Uncredited. Yeah. Oh man. Because I think when, this I performance is amazing yeah. because so okay, like like I said, fly on the wall. Who knows whether or not a movie is being made? Clearly, this production assistant knows the movie's being made, and yeah. he looks so put out and, and not put out with the movie, yeah. put out no. with these little musicians right. in him. He's right. got to deal with this audition. It's maybe tomorrow. <laughs> it's maybe next week. Maybe go fuck off. Right. The look on his face is so <laughs> fuck off. JJ, are so you legitimate. He's typecast? Do you think he was typecast? <laughs> I think that he <laughs> sat down and was like, I know exactly who my character yeah. is because yeah. I have lived this so many times. <laughs> so it may not have been fly on the wall reality, but I think yeah. it was very much like, I'm the guy to play this guy. And yep. yeah, he... Yep. I know my part. Dead on. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He nailed it. Absolutely. Um, so like there is a, a musical montage at this point where we where we see a few images that I think are important to see kind of thematically. And that is um, Ivan looking very shabby. Ivan trying to steal some food and getting caught. Yep. Just threatened with a knife, not like facing any kind of legal repercussions. Yeah. Uh, is this when he goes into the wealthy lady's backyard, breaks into her yes. backyard? Yeah. Kind of kind of begging, kind of showing that there yep. are rich people here. This isn't just a poor shantytown city. There there is yep. luxury here to, to be yeah. had. Yeah. Yeah. And he's kind of looking like a vagrant. He's walking through their yards, their front yards. And she's like, beg, beg, beg. That's all you do is beg. Why you come around here? Who let this guy in my gate? You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard she turned out to end up, she wasn't at the time, but she ended up being the first lady of Jamaica. What? what? She, ended up marrying, she ended up marrying the prime minister, that woman, that actress. I no, her name right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which prime minister did she marry? Uh, the, the, oh, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, Norman Manley? Yeah, yeah. <gasps> well, I'm going to have to Google that now. <laughs> wow. Um, oh, we see people rummaging kind of at the dump. So, like, we, we definitely yeah. see both sides. We see the future first lady of Jamaica and we see people trying to find any morsel of food they can. We also see the resorts. We see somebody get into a convertible. We see a bellboy or a doorman right. run him off. Right. And that's going to come back later. Look, you got 10 cents, Master. I was watching a car for you while he was away. No, Master. The steward always look after my camera. Well, you're not here all the time, you know, sir. Oh, man. If you want that 10 cents, go back to the steward. All right. Get out, man. Get out. Get out, man. Get out here. Right. I love those church scenes. I just want to say the church scenes, the gospel scene, scenes, yeah. everything, because that's how 
that's how Toots got his start. That's how a lot of Jamaican musicians got their starts, like singing in these. I don't know if, but it seems like an Adventist, like a Seventh Day Adventist kind of a church because right. they're really. But those scenes are so good. They're so like possessed by the spirit and the music. <laughs> And and the sweat, you can just see it, you can feel it, you feel like yeah, you're in it's there. A, it's a real like yeah, those like those uh close-ups. They're very visceral scenes. Like, yeah. They you feel like I feel sweaty watching yep. those scenes, you know? <laughs> yep. I'm like, somebody turn the fan on it's here for these poor people. But they it's there the camera shots are very close up on the faces too. And so it, there's these really authentic um, they're not acting, you know, like like you right. were saying, JJ. It's like they're they're not acting. The action's happening there. You say close up, but I would also add that they they there is still a very fly on the wall feeling of yeah. like, don't pay attention to the camera thing. And even but, they kind of add um a point of view shot to show Ivan kind of peeking right. in through the right as if to say, like, I'm the fly on the wall here. Right. You know? And we're kind of seeing this through his eyes. Yeah, definitely. I was hoping maybe you could add something to this and no pressure, but some of the uh -oh. girls in the choir are wearing graduation caps. And some yeah. of the girls in the audience are wearing like kind of makeshift berets. And it almost looks like they're from different like schools or camps or you do you know anything about this? I know nothing about <laughs> no. I, you know, I was wondering that too. I, I All right. guess. I'll stop the recording. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get a real expert. Uh, but I mean, I can get. <laughs> can we get a haberdasher here to talk about the hats? Uh, we need man. a we need a scabadasher. <laughs> scabadasher. Oh Let's start a band, guys. Uh, I love it. I tip my hat to you. Mm. Um, but it was. I don't know. I could guess. I could guess. Um, and just, but that it would just be a guess. School uniforms are definitely a thing in King. In yeah, Germany. I get a definite uniform. All one color that the, the school colors they all wear the same. You know, I'll tell you what I know about mortarboards. Is I wore one when I graduated high school. I didn't drop out of high school, you guys. <laughs> um, and Groucho wore one when he played a professor back in the '30s. So yeah, <laughs> maybe dressed, there's something culturally that happened to that hat, you know, along the way. I dressed up as a professor when I was five years old for Halloween, and I wore one. I just want to say that, ah, letting a, me share. A little, think... little Spalding in front of us here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but like the the music, um, I guess it's worth noting, and I don't know, um, but this church here is is uh got a, a plugged in bass and a plugged in guitar, and I think maybe even an organ is going on in there that's electric. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And everybody is, like you said, feeling it. It's not even yeah. like that soulful of a song, but they are just like dipping and sweating right. and right. feeling. One thing that I want to note about that scene, too, is that the preacher, I don't think it's that preacher. It's the other preacher that's the like the the father, the cast member. The who's like, yeah. Yeah. He notes that when he's making like his announcements to the church congregation, he tells them that that they don't he doesn't have their records yet because the master hasn't been returned yet from america right yeah so they sent off a recording and they need the master disc tape right i mean that's what plate that's Dub, what they're thinking that's what um 
what Ivan, Jimmy's character, ends up taking down to the mm-hmm. studio. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that would have been the, the master copy of it being, you know, processed in America or prepared in America, whatever. And then now they can take it down to, you know, a pressing plant, which they would have had in Jamaica, but the master had to be done in in America. That's authentic. That's true. That's what, you know, that's how the records were made. A lot of A lot of the records were made then. And would it be that the those same the the same master would have to be go down to the like federal studios or whatever? That's where yeah, that's exactly where okay. federal studios. That's where all Coxon stuff went. That's where all of Duke Reed stuff went. That's where ev- Prince Buster everybody's went was to federal. Yep. And so that's I just thought that was kind of neat. You know, it was a well, it gives him an excuse to get access to this place. You know, exactly, exactly. So then mm-hmm. when it does finally come. He was like, he's like, I'll take it for you. I'll take it down there. You know, he wants to do a little favor and get into the studio. Yeah. I want to get there real quick. I just want to introduce Elsa, who um, he sees in the choir and kind of starts a little relationship with. And you kind of find out that the preacher has like this, like. Custodianship. Grooming. Right. Kind of relationship. Uh, she's an orphan. Uh, she's been in his care since she was a child. and. He and people expect expect that she's going to be his wife someday or something. And that's not treated as creepy so much as expected. <laughs> I think that's the weirdest yeah, part. Yeah, everybody's like, yeah. well, no, that's that. No. <laughs> everyone seems to be like, of course, this is preacher's woman. He's put a lot of effort into this girl. Of course, he's going to end up with her. Like, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> I know. It's definitely what the hell, but it's not. It's not in that culture, really. Because we think I, about, like, I get it. Yeah. I mean, no, okay, but... so let's look at like Bob Marley. Okay. So like okay. Bob Marley's mom was 16 and mm. his dad was in his 60s. Oof. And Bob Marley's mom was one of a number of young girls. Yeah. Yeah. So this is not and it's not yeah, it's like... obviously not particular to jamaica either because you can no, go to any no no. You know. right. no no and i'm not trying to put too much judgment yeah. on it but i am just showing that it is a no i know but it's but it's part of the movie and it's icky kind of when you hear like three different characters be like that is preacher's teenager <laughs> right then you have to like go like oh clang 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 you know right. like right. jj you you can be judgmental about it you should be because like i i am too it's like it's creepy it's creepy i think you have to no. be careful when looking at other cultures no. to 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 right. project a modern right. judgment on that that is you. not my place that's but. that's you. not a cultural practice that's something Something, that's something yeah. global. I mean, that's something that men have to grapple with, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's, yeah. that's what I'm trying to say is this is not in no way like to criticize this is not a cultural criticism in exactly. any way because this yeah. is not any if it's a culture, it's a culture of 50% of the population. Almost. <laughs> right, right, right. True. This preacher uh, kind of clashes with Ivan over... Right. His property. Music yeah. Over his property. Right. Ivan's kind of working in his backyard, kind of uh, in the church's backyard, kind of doing repairs, fixing bicycles, right. stuff like that. Right. Um, but really it's it's about Elsa. It's about battling over Elsa. Right. Right. They're like surrogate fights. Yeah. 
at one point, uh, they're doing a little raindrops keep falling on my head kind of moment, a little, little bicycle ride around town. Yeah. A little cute little sequence. But the preacher is left kind of snooping around the yard, kind of snooping around this car that Ivan keeps. And he sees a um yeah. a stash of nudie mags, kind of a ray gun toy and some reggae records. And I'm thinking this Ivan guy seems pretty cool. <laughs> I'm thinking this guy has some similar interests to the kid. Well, I, um, thought, <laughs> I thought it made him seem like a like he was a kid. You know, like it made Ivan like it made him seem like he was young, like he was a kid. Yeah, but it's also to show how just sinful he is compared to the preacher. <laughs> like. Right, he, dun, all his dun, interests dun. are just like <laughs> not what the preacher is interested in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, it wouldn't surprise you that my dad is a preacher and I collect ray guns, nudie mags, and ray <laughs> guns. All right, all right, all right. All right, anyway, so continuing on with this. <laughs> I thought that it was like a scene like to show that he wasn't worthy of being it like he's like uh, he's on the edge of being like in the transition between a boy and a man. And so the preacher was like basically showing by exposing this horde of his that this is he's still a boy. He's still young and that he's not worthy of his, you know, essentially daughter and, and her, you know, and her to be a provider. I don't think that worthy is the right word because I don't think he's judging. I don't think he's judging him as like somebody. Right, nobody's worthy. That might take his daughter's hand or something. He's he's seeing him as competition for someone who might take oh. his girlfriend's hand. Ah. I mean, there there's it's it's similar judgments. Like I mean, no, the, you're right the, though. The, I the, like the, that. The, the the depiction of him is this is the same. Yeah. But like, he, I don't I don't think he's protecting her. Right. He's keeping her to himself. You're right. You're absolutely right. No, that's what it is. Yeah. Like, yeah, the the records are like offensive to him too. And yeah. I I find that like delightful, honestly. Yeah, he calls it boogie woogie. Like his beef goes back to boogie woogie. And Ivan's like, we don't call it that anymore, man. <laughs> okay, boomer. You're gonna make the Lord come back and find you doing this? Doing what, preacher? Boogie woogie and twist up yourself in my yard. They don't have boogie woogie anymore, you know, preacher. That, that finished long ago. I don't care what kind of foolish you want to call it. I don't want it in my yard. All right, preacher. Finish for the night, sir. Oh, so even more, we were saying how the record producer has kind of these like hand, he's, he's got his interests in the police, the ganja, the music. Yeah. He also has like, I guess, like a little tendril connection to the church, like we were saying. The church has to deal with him to get out their materials. Right. And so, yeah, like we were saying, he he takes these records up there and he sees Toots and the Maytals recording and it is amazing. Yeah. These guys are charismatic as fuck. Um, yeah, hot fire. <laughs> I can't like understate how seeing them in this movie like informed me hearing Toots and the Maytals. Like, I guess like when I listen to Toots, like I have a visual that I don't have of Desmond Decker, that I don't have of the Scatolites, you know, like right. I have like this small rumble of a record of Toots, you know? Right. And it's from and this it's, movie. And it's not just Toots, because if anybody's seen, like, because, you know, a lot of us, we've seen Toots, but it's not the Maytals. 
too. So to see this as that trio. It's 1972, yeah. Yeah, to see that trio, that's really special. So I must admit, this time when I watched it, I watched and I was looking at the Maytals more. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I, but at the same at the same time, I also my image of Toots is as an elderly man now. Yeah. So it's it's a different thing to see him at Young. that time yeah. making yeah. those records. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I have a question. Like, I know that like kind of the seed of this movie started with um, Perry Hensel wanting to record stuff in the studio. He did. He recorded a little of um, Jimmy Cliff and then kind of approached him about the movie after that recording, the the filming. So I'm, I'm wondering if this is like the, or I guess what I'm saying, are we seeing Toots and the Maytals? Uh, lip syncing Sweet and Dandy here, or are we seeing the recording of Sweet and Dandy here? All right, like, was the was I, the camera here and it was cut into the movie? Because or... that is the version that we know, right? Yeah, it is. Whereas the harder they come, that's the harder not they come the is version. clearly not right. It doesn't look lip synced. It doesn't. I mean, they're smiling, but other than smiling, they don't look like they're performing. I mean, they're kind of dancing in a proud yeah. way, but like. I don't, I don't get the sense well. that they're super performing. You yeah. Know. Yeah. I don't know. Good question. Mm. That's a really good question. I don't know. That is a really good question. I was hoping yeah. that after you brought that up, we would have an answer. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I don't no, know. No, I, not, that was not from you. I was hoping that oh, like, no. like, between the three of us, we would have an answer. Yeah. <laughs> because that's a really, that's a really good observation because obviously yeah. like I noticed you like, cause I've listened to the harder they come a thousand times right alone um Mm -hmm. and and like like you when you watch the movie you're like whoa that's not even the version i know that's amazing right but then like the toot song is like that's it version i know how yeah what's going and like i never really i never really put the thought into like why is that yeah me neither (laughs) interesting observation well i hope i hope maybe um i've raised a question that we'll we'll find an answer in our audience somewhere yeah i will say though that at the time that this movie was filmed though like toots was toots and the maytals were bigger than jimmy cliff Mm -hmm. in jamaica they were more popular Yeah, yeah they were bigger i don't know that we can really say that it's that way now. I think, I, I don't know, but I think like Jimmy Cliff. Oh, I think Jimmy Cliff. Uh, bigger. If far than, eclipses. Yeah. In the I think now. so too. Thanks to this movie. So we introduced Elsa and she's kind of the love interest, but I really want to talk about the guy, the other guy that works in the, in the churchyard and that's Longa. So he's the guy that takes back the bike, right? Is that the character's name that he takes back his bike and he's like, oh, this isn't your bike. Exactly. He's the one that Ivan gets in the fight. Yeah. I don't know. He's one of the guys that, that warns the warns Ivan that the, the preacher's girl is the preacher's girl. And uh, I don't know. He's he's very much like, this is the way it is. And Ivan's like, listen, Longa, don't, don't mess with me, you know? And eventually Ivan kind of scraps with him and... I don't know. What do you think about the scene? I don't know. I don't know if it really plays all that well. The The blood is very fakey. So I don't know. It's extremely fake. Yeah, it's extremely yeah. fake. So he, gets, he gets knifed. Longa gets knifed. But it does. It looks like a whole lot of like um, preschool red paint. 
like temp- it's like, like temporary. It's it's like yeah. C or D movie at best. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it's not even like Evil Dead Purple Blood. It's just like <laughs> Yeah, like like yeah, I found this in my my toddler's desk kind of paint. It's not very realistic. It's it's very harsh. It it kind of takes you out for the first time. For for a very realist movie, the fight scene doesn't really like Right. I don't know. I feel like I feel like a more fly on the wall approach might have been better. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think yeah. I find that that just that like knife sequence kind of off putting because it doesn't seem like it fits. No, you're right. Kind of comes out of nowhere. It's, it's hard to like the character for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. You're not rooting for him to just like really just go to town on this guy's face. At that point, Ivan is not like starving so much that you know that it comes out of desperation because he's just had like this hopeful like there's there's hope for him in this this love interest so it's not like there's so much desperation that leads to this violent scene and then also like there's not enough buildup of hatred between these two for to warrant that kind of violence too or maybe it's just a buildup of uh ivan's ego or something where he feels big enough to do this now yeah it's not a heroic move by any means it's not a save the cat move as they say you know is that what they taught you in film school <laughs> yeah no i'm i'm printing up a film school paper over here <laughs> yeah, when I read it. on my dot matrix <laughs> it didn't feel like, it didn't feel right for the character but even just like that style like that kind of like almost like horror violence didn't feel right in the movie itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But okay. But is that also the slice of life? Is that also the way it is? Like, is that what they're trying to represent here is like, this may not be yeah. a fly on the wall, like the other stuff, but like, yeah. is this the kind of situation a regular guy would face? You know, yeah. like, is that what they're trying to say? If they are, that's the only, yeah, that's what I can get from the scene is that this is, that that's how hard it is out here. Right. That they're just trying to show that violence is also a claim that you have to stake. Almost. Right. I don't know. Right. I think so. So we've got the, you know, the starvation that box is kind of ticked. You know, can't get a job, that's ticked. You know, now we got violence. Yep, that's ticked. I think that these are the kind of aspects of 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 trying to scrap to get by. Okay, yeah. I mean, I guess when it comes down to it, it is like over the bike. Like he fixed up this bike and Longa's trying to take the bike and that's that. Like, don't take my fucking bike. The bike was also a source of pride for Ivan. And it was also now connected to his girlfriend. And so like to to have feel like you this is something like the bike was like almost him like he built up this bike from the pieces he ha- he found you know it was and... the one it's the one possession he has too it's the only thing he right. has but for longa it's power power you know like longa doesn't need right. it longa doesn't want it he know it came from scraps in the yard he knows it's ivan's but he can take it and so he's gonna take it yes i hear you but i also don't i don't want to correct you but he also has nudie max ray guns <laughs> ray guns <Gunn. laughs> He's got a seat in a car. He has a quality life. All right. No, No, I gotcha. Funny. 
You want dead? I will kill you. Don't fuck me. So where were we here? So he he records the or no he yeah he cuts up Longa. Yep. Did we mention that he scores the audition at the record producer? He scores an audition. Right. Opportunity with the record producer Hilton. Then he cuts up Longa in the yard over the bike. Then he gets arrested. Now the judge gives leniency. The leniency is what? Several lashings. Lashings, lashings. about the buttocks. Yes. Yes. That's a brutal scene, by the way. It is brutal. I yeah, mean, that that one's realistic. It seems it seems more realistic than the knifing. I will say. Yes. Um, that was hard to watch. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. And the way that they show it too is that that where he's pissing himself in the barrel too over the barrel. I thought that that was a, a really effective way of showing by not showing. Yeah. Because it that's because that's a really disturbing image, but it's not like the, the disturbing image you're probably expecting, or right. from another film or something. Well, okay. So, and if the first scene is trying to show you a kind of thing that you might be able to take pride in, like, oh, I would cut up a dude that would fuck with me, mm-hmm. and then this next scene shows just how inhumanely you can be treated for that. Like I, I'm not sure what to take take from that. Like, um, is he being mistreated for correct behavior? Is is his behavior wrong, and he's being corrected? I feel like both scenes are supposed to be taken on equal footing. It definitely almost it kind of looks like an eye for an eye, doesn't mm-hmm. it? So, I mean, I saw it. I don't know. The way that I saw it was that it it made me feel like it was an image of slavery like there was a a hint of slavery there yeah so there was some there was some it's a it it is a black officer delivering the punishment i know but it's still um have you seen the news out of memphis lately oh i'm not that is not lost on me that is not lost on me and it wasn't to me it was just that like it was this imagery because they could have easily doled out any other kind of punishment. But this particular punishment with this kind of graphic depiction of it, I think it, it reinforces this power dynamic that Ivan is has had his power stripped away from him. Um, and so he's desperate. So they're setting up the desperation of this character. I think it's a very dehumanizing thing. They're kind of just like, you're, you're no longer even a person. Right. You're, you're a, a piece of... I don't know, maybe property is the wrong word, but like something that can be severely mistreated. Right. I think that's what the urine is supposed to say, too. Yeah. Like he's been taken from his from his body in some way. He's right. he's been almost like stripped of like civilization, humanity, humanity right? dignity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, dignity. I was raised on the movie Roots. And mm-hmm. that that scene very much reminded me of the Kunta Kente slash yes. Toby scene in, in that yes movie. agreed whatever whatever we're supposed to make of the juxtaposition juxtaposition, blah, 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 juxtaposition mm-hmm. between those two scenes mm-hmm. i think what ultimately we're supposed to take away is and and and, and correct me if i'm wrong but the the third scene the, the 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 cap on that triplet is him in the studio he's not only doing his audition but it's being recorded 
and he's got a cigarette in his hand and he's got a look of fucking murder in his yep. eye while <laughs> yep. he's singing a different version of Harder They Come than we know. Yeah. Um, the lyrics are different. It is it doesn't quite end the right way. And there's a there's a right, hardness. Right. And and like I was saying earlier, like if if they didn't put that scene in the middle there between getting the audition and doing the audition, yep. um, the lyrics I think would miss a, a meaning. He has right. now been beaten physically by the state after some kind of violent assertion of his existence. Right. And right. now these are the thoughts on his mind. No one else wrote this. He wrote this song and he's singing this song. Everything that precedes it has led to this point lyrically and in the plot. Absolutely. And also we know that he had this song before this event, these events. Yes. But yes. there's no way he could have sang it like that. Right. Before the fight and then like the sentencing. Yeah. So it's like it's it's everything that has come before, but it's also everything that's going to come. So it's just like this the pivotal moment is the the, the lyrics to the song. Yeah, the fulcrum of the movie, really. Yeah. 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 You feel like you're closer to him than like the band is, than the producer even is. Like right. you you feel like it's like it's you and Jimmy Cliff. Yeah. Yeah. Like okay, I want to get like a little film schooly here because okay so we were talking about the toot scene and i know but i really (laughs) want to hear what you guys have to say about it um if the toot scene was maybe the recording of sweet and dandy right that that actual archival footage wait i i looked this up and if the sweet and dandy came out in 1968 and there's no Ooh. way this was filming in 1968. Okay. No. Nope. Well, no, 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 no. But he yeah. could have filmed it then and, and edited it into the film, too. I, from what I can tell, no filming was done before okay. 1970. That doesn't necessarily negate what I'm going to say. But, like, yeah, like, if 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 what we're to take is that, that these performances in the studio are somehow just musical performances, am I drawing too much from the look on his face when he sings this because it's, been presented in this edited collage style montage style way i'm seeing it in reaction to previous scenes or is he acting in this scene is he singing mm. harder they come as ivan yeah. in in that scene? i 100 percent think he's singing in character yes me too i, feel like it I too. agree i really do i agree 100 100 percent. yeah i don't feel like that's jimmy there yeah it's ivan it's- eyes man i'm telling you yeah i there's in my mind watching that movie there's no doubt in my mind that he is singing as ivan not as jimmy cliff In the movie, the song is interrupted. And like, I don't know if you remember. Like, I mean, of course you guys know. If you guys listen to old Jamaican music, it's not like the song ends. Oftentimes, the song just kind of turns down. And you can <laughs> tell the band is going on. And the producer yeah. has gone like, yeah. uh-huh, that's enough. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and same thing goes on here. Like they're singing and playing, and he's like, ah, da, 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 da. right. And, and Hilton comes out with his briefcase. You only have enough time for vinyl. It's like two minutes and forty-five seconds or right. whatever it is. And that said, okay, it well, like you didn't have time for him. He looked like he was on his way out the door. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, so he tries to get him to sign away all the rights for 20 bucks and 20 bucks. Evan says no 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 that don't sound right that's what he says that don't sound right and he's like okay what do you think he's like what do you think what should i pay you and he's like 200 yeah and he's like so it sounds like you're the producer it sounds like you need to pay the musicians mm-hmm. and go find a market for this song like it sounds like you own this song, not me. Yeah. And so he gives yeah. the guy the record. He gives Ivan the record and sends him on his way. No money. Like, yeah. you don't have my support. Good luck, fucko. Right. Exactly. And and to hear, to hear it from Jimmy Cliff, Jimmy Cliff did not get paid for his first song that he recorded at all. No, none of them did. None of them did. None of them and, did. And like there's like 20 bucks to find out that this 20 bucks is like a like a fiction, <laughs> you know? They're like that was right? the pay. Most of them, most of them got two pounds a side. But like for an A side, they would get two pounds. So they don't explain it outright, but I kind of like as I'm re- like reading between the lines, the way Hilton, the character, talks about it, he's like, yeah. if you had signed this paper, I would have paid the musicians as the producer. But since you're the producer. You owe these guys money because yeah. when Jimmy Cliff comes crawling back to him, he's like, and what are you guys doing here? You you guys waiting around here for some money? I tell the DJs what to play. Understand? Now what do you all know what? Because Ivan don't pay no yet. But Ivan's supposed to pay no. I'm not supposed to get no money. Anyhow, come. And let this be a lesson to you, see? Learn something from this. Uh, whatever. I'll pay you. Let this be a lesson to you. Let this be yeah. a lesson to my generosity that I'll pay you for this guy's fuck up. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's how bad you fucked up. I'm this big and you fucked up. Yeah. I mean, that's sometimes that's done too, for real. Like, I know that there was one studio producer um, who would say, okay. You want to come in and you want to record, then it's going to be, you know, money and time to record. So I'll I'll make you a deal. You record nine songs. I'll take seven and you can take two. They would do it that way. That was a little bit later. Usually it was at the beginning. It was just like, I'll give you two pounds. Those are your wages. You know, I knew some of them, uh, the ones would, they literally would, the musicians would clock in and clock out. Oh yeah. So I, I guess Ivan goes around and he tries to like, he tries to sell this record on his own as the producer yeah. and the DJ's like, no, I don't do something against Hilton. Uh, he goes to the record stores where we see a nice little cameo by Prince Buster. Buster. Yes. DJing. I ain't going to do shit without Hilton. Hilton says it ain't fire. I ain't going to play it, you know? like mm-hmm. Right. So accurate. So Ivan comes back, cap in hand. I'm so sorry. Please, please, can I take the twenty bucks? And like I said, uh, Hilton treats it like a um, like a lesson to be learned, right? Yeah, yeah. Another lash, a metaphorical lash. Yeah. This is so. My favorite line though is he says, "This is show business, baby. No business, no show." I love that. <laughs> He's got the DJ boys. He's like talking like the DJs did. 
Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Big T Show. Back in my home where the sweet soul sisters roam. My mojo working and my soul sort of cooking and smoking. <laughs> like we say, the tea thing goes for four hours long, and it's the sound of soul in Big Boss Country right here. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, but sir, it's a good record. Please play it. And he's like, no, no, mm-mm. And that's the, that's the whole thing. It's like everybody's connected. Everybody's uh. connected. It's like, no, we play Hilton records. That's that's not a Hilton. We don't play it. Right. Especially yeah. if, like, you, like, if there's a history, like, oh, you're beefing with Hilton over this record? Absolutely not. No. He's blackballed is what essentially happens. Because right, right. he's like, you know, watch out for this guy. He's a troublemaker. You know, calls him a troublemaker and stuff like that. And he's yeah. essentially blackballed. Hilton tells, tells Leslie Kong in the back room. He's like, hey. Put it out. Of course, put it out. Yep. Promote it just enough to get my money back. Like, I'm not trying to go broke right. on this. But... Right. He's like, we got something. I just don't don't want this kid to know it. He's basically showing, like, what he says later on. I tell the DJs what to play. He's basically, like, you basically see it before he even says it, that him flexing that muscle. Like, Yeah, yep. I make hits, yep. not the public. But almost, like, acknowledging that it has the ability to be a hit. No, for like, sure. He's almost, like, he's almost like, keep a cap on it. Yeah, he's like he literally that's that's the exact reading I got. It was like like don't let this get too big. Like right. <laughs> so like Ivan though doesn't know that side of it. He hears no. it on the radio. He hears it at the dance. And he's ready to like bank his whole future on it. Yeah. He's telling his girl, "Why are you even looking for work? I got a record." Like, right. "Why are you even doing this? I'm gonna be famous." Like it's inevitable for him. It's right. so, it's so sad. We really we now we really start to you know pity him. I think this because is when he's, he's he's got that like pathetic hustle mentality, and you're like, oh, yeah. dude. Yeah, he starts to dress a little flashy. Starts to spend some money on himself. He's like got the hat. He's got the sunglasses, the shirt. So it's interesting that you say that because I feel like it's at this point that that the the drug guys are like. Oh, here's a guy we can use. He's already yeah. been exploited by one industry. We yep. can use him too. Yep, yep, and yep. He's like, hey, check out my song. And almost immediately he's like, yeah, I think I got some work for you. Oh, a sucker, huh? Like, and this by by he, I mean Jose. Jose is kind of a lieutenant in the Gondi trade. Yeah. I guess he kind of works by permission from the cops. The cops kind of let him run. Because they benefit from right owning the crime instead instead of letting crime go wild, they right. sanction certain crimes. Um, but yeah, there's also the cop who I also don't know his name. But yeah, the cop kind of has a very pivotal role, but maybe doesn't quite understand the precariousness of his pivotal role. He knows right. that he's letting these criminals run, and he thinks that the criminals owe him something. But he doesn't quite understand, like that they're kind of using him too, right? Like I think the I think the cop thinks that he's got the upper hand, and he or even he thinks he's an even player, and he's not. He's so separated from it, like he's so he doesn't even know what's going on. Right? right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but even now, I'm getting ahead of myself. So yeah, uh, Ivan notices that the drug trade is making way more money than he's making. Um, and it's not so many degrees above him. He's seeing the real money is just like two clicks above his strength right. level. 
And he's like, why don't I make more money? Why can't I make more money? Right. I mean, if they're throwing pot onto a plane to America, why can't I throw mm-hmm. pot onto a plane to America? So so he's right. starting to get kind of too big for his britches and talking too much. And they're like, well, since they're police sanctioned, they're like, well, why don't we have the police help us teach him a lesson? And so they have a cop try to pull him over, try to teach him a lesson, try to put him back in his place. But Ivan has experienced the hand of the law and um, he ain't going back there. He's not going to do that again. No. So as the cop pulls up on him, he pulls the pistol from his waist and kills the cop. And now Ivan is on the run and like the real plot of the movie kicks in. I, they don't really show it. How does he kind of take up with Jose's girlfriend at the hotel? How does this happen? <laughs> yeah, I don't. It just kind of yada, yada, yada. He's just in bed with this woman. <laughs> yeah. And she's quite alarmed. Well, OK, yeah. Does he sneak up on her or is this like an affair? Like, is this a planned thing or is this? I don't know. Assault? I don't know. It's a hotel. It they say it's a hotel. Yeah, it happens very quickly, too, doesn't it? And that was just all of a sudden. I'm like, It just jumps into it. Yeah. But th- I guess this is kind of like where one of the Rigen Ry- stories comes from is that he has this is a hotel like Rigen. It's a shootout oh, with the mm. cops in his underwear like Rigen. There we go. And, um, right. But unlike that, he does not die here. He no. kills, I think, three police officers and goes on the run. Yep. Yep. Hunkers down for a while. Oh, yeah. Back at home, Ivan is telling Elsa, I'm not going to run. She expects him to run because he's on the run from the cops. And he's like, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm. Th- this is me. This is me being famous. Like, this is this is it. This is what I signed up. Yeah, this is the this is the story, baby. She's like, what the fuck? Like, you're crazy, you know? <laughs> yeah. She's a good church girl. Exactly. Like, yeah, she's, I don't think she's ever on the same page as him. Like, I don't think she's yeah. ever like, yeah, you got to, yeah, like you're going <laughs> to, yeah. yeah. You're successful. Right. You're so talented. No, none of that. Mm-hmm. Me, dreamer? Who's a bigger dreamer than you? Always talking about milk and honey in the sky. Well, no milk and honey, no in the sky. Not for you, not for me. It's right down here, and I want my no tonight. Oh, so yeah. So now he's on the run, and we see that producer guy and Leslie Kong kind of scrambling to find that record. They buried it. They're yep. ready for it now to be a hit. He's on the run, and the cops are like, hey, don't make that a hit. And they're like, too late. It's already a hit. Because it's in the headlines and everything. Yeah. He takes some, like, cool photos. Yeah, he turns it into the paper, and the paper is like, yeah, all right, we got some photos of this guy. And the cops are like, don't publish that. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, who who else would offer us photos this great of, like, the top criminal in the country? Like, yeah. Of course we're going to publish it. Like, you can't stop it. He's got a hit song. He's uh, he He killed a bunch of cops. He's on the run. Like, everybody's talking about him. Now we've got these amazing, first of all, they're amazing photos. They are, aren't they? And I love how they show the photo shoot happening too. Like, right. Like he's just posing in all these different poses, like classic, like, you know. Like a gunslinger. And yeah. It's in those photo sessions that I am introduced, I don't know how I missed this in my other viewings. I've seen it several times over the years, but I am introduced to my favorite cuss word, backside. <laughs> uh, a gentleman comes in, recognizes Ivan, 
and says, Backside! <laughs> and then Ivan signs a picture for him, and then he says it again, Backside! Backside! He's what? so impressed. <laughs> I, how did I not see I feel like I feel like that one psychology film where like you have to count how many times the basketball is passed, and you don't see the ape walk across. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. I'm wondering if I've seen a different edit this time. I swear I've never noticed this scene before. But this guy exclaims twice, backside. (laughs) I'm going to have to watch it now. I I don't have a great memory. This sounds familiar (laughs) to me. This sounds made up to me. I don't know. I I think I'm going to I'm going (laughs) to. tentatively I'll vouch for JJ. <laughs> <laughs> but but this guy kind of like epitomizes what's going on on the street is that like people are kind of proud of Ivan even though yeah. like he's not like an admirable dude. Yeah. But they're like go man go. They're like yeah, do it, you know. He's a, he's an everyman. He's an everyman character. He's the he- That's also really Jamaican. Like cuz I mean obviously like there there's also the foreshadowing of them watching the western like shootout earlier in the movie theater. Right. Uh and like Oh, yeah. and, and, and it speaks to like the the kind of it's that this is part of Jamaican culture. Like the other some of the other stuff earlier was not. This is part of Jamaican culture is like the the uh the idolizing of like the bad man. Like this like Ivan oh. is like Ivan is like the ideal like he's the man with no name. He's the man right, with he's like, he's Eastwood. Well, the the movie they were watching shows Django Django take out his machine gun and mow down all the quote-unquote good guys. And then you hear one of the audience members say, the hero won't die until the last reel. Knowing full, so it's basically admitting the hero is A, a murderer, and B, will die for it. And right. that um, is exactly what Ivan yeah. goes through, isn't it? The, yeah, yeah, it's a foreshadow and a parallel, definitely. I was watching over the weekend. I was watching the Bob Marley documentary that came out. Yeah. The um, Marley, the one that came out in like whatever that was, 2019, 2017 or whatever. Oh yeah. And they show about like Bob Marley, the assassination attempt at Hope Road where Bob and three of, and Rita and were shot. Um, and I think it's, it's his, it's Bob Marley's attorney. Jobson, whatever her name is, she says something to the effect of Jamaicans love a guy that walks away from a gunfight. Mm, yeah. yeah, like they want like somebody that survived the gunfight. And so I think that my point is that why why the you know the public rallies around Ivan during this time is because you know, he's the outlaw that has escaped the cops and the shootouts with the cops. And he's so he's a hero because, you know, everybody knows the cops are corrupt. The government's corrupt that, the, you know, the bad guys are all corrupt and they see him as a good guy, as a hero that he's escaped. He's sort of a neo. <laughs> you say a neo? Neo. Yeah. I'm like, OK, gotcha. <laughs> he, he, he found a way out of the system. Yep. The special effects are on par. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's bullet bending. Um, yeah, 
No, but I think you're right that he's, and, and that's, that's why the real Rye gang um, is a folk hero too, is because he was on the lamb, you know, he got, he broke out of jail and he was on the lamb for like a few months and, you know, killed a couple cops or killed a cop or whatever. I mean, not that I'm whatever, but it's, it's still, there's something about it's power. It's power. It's the every man, the guy that's the country bumpkin or whatever that comes from trench town, you know, that he's, he's the hero that he can, even if it's just for a day. There's almost like a, as if murder isn't the capital sin. It's almost as if like, we shouldn't take this murder as so serious. Mm. It's the act of rebellion that we should yeah. focus on. Right. Um, if we like get that. focused on how much he fucks up longer, if we focus on how many people he kills, yeah. Focus on maybe what he did to that woman in the Hilton. I mean, the hotel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he's not such a great guy. Right. But if we look at him as a character that is constantly rebellion, rebelling against the system, the system. Yeah. Because, I mean, and every hero has to be flawed. So you don't want him to be a perfect character. Otherwise, you know, it wouldn't the, the ending would feel super tragic. You know, and you don't want it to feel that way. You want it to feel kind of like, a, oh, like even, even you know, people like me who are flawed, you know, we still can't get ahead. You know, like that kind of a thing. Well, the the ending seems to be very much of its time. I I think about um, Butch and Sundance. I think about Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. I think about these yeah. movies that came out kind of at the, the late 60s, early 70s, where we have kind of these... Uh, criminal outsiders that represent a certain cultural rebelliousness that maybe we can get behind um, going down in a blaze of glory. And uh, you got Butch and Sundance. It's just a freeze frame while you hear the gunshots. Then you got Bonnie and Clyde. You see yeah. every fucking bullet tear these two apart. Um, <laughs> right, 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 right. I'm struggling to remember what we actually see as Ivan gets finally gunned down by these cops. Hmm. What do we? What? What is it? What are the shots? Or is it? Well, I know that. Okay, so he's he's at the beach. He's at the beach at the end, and they he's been betrayed by his friend. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the ganja the ganja sellers kind of turn against him because the cops are starving out the town. Yeah. And he has one friend left in Pedro. Pedro's kind of the Rasta yeah. character. Oh, the, yeah, the co the cops are like, yeah, no weed until you guys turn this guy in, right? Yeah. They've stifled the music. Like like Hilton says, they stifled the the pops, they stifled the the food, the ganja. Um these people are now starved out and they're ready to sell out Ivan, even if he is kind of a hero. And Pedro kind of takes him on one last like afternoon kind of right. a Rasta fantasy at the beach. That's Elsa, right? Elsa's there too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's like a little makeshift rowboat they sail around. It's 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 really a beautiful. Like I'd say that that and when Ivan gets to drive the convertible. At one point, he kind of steals a convertible and drives it around for yeah. a little while. Those yeah. two scenes kind of give us the sense that what Ivan did is fulfilling in some way some kind of um rasta dream has been fulfilled but also a um um material a material fantasy yeah like i'm living 
I'm living the good life, kind of like yes. I'm driving good. around because he's driving in like a garden, like gardens, like of the wealthy or something like that. I on... think it's a, I think it's a golf course. I think he drives yeah, around. Yeah, he drives That's across it. the golf yeah, course. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So yeah, there are these brief moments where you're like, okay, what Ivan did is, um, led him to some idyllic peace. A couple moments, not much. Right. And it certainly didn't give him the love. Like Elsa never really like came around to him either. Right. Yeah. Like it didn't like give yeah. him everything. But like we said, the cops do catch up with him, gun him down. Yeah. So they come up onto the beach, as I recall. To me, it was like, it's like, you know, they're storming Normandy. They like come out like this am- amphibious assault. They, like, <laughs> they're very army like. Yeah. 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 And they come up and he's hiding in the bush. And I don't remember either. Like, do we see? I mean, I know we, we hear and see a hail of bullets, but I don't think. It just feels so abrupt. The ending feels so abrupt. And what they cut to, mm. he dies. And then they cut to like a bikini woman dancing to reggae. <laughs> and kind yeah. of has like a crotch shot. Right. It ain't bad. But <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it, it's very jarring. And I yeah. think it kind of removes whatever image we respond. Like, I remember Butch and Sundance because freeze frame. I remember Bonnie and Clyde because yeah. however long it took to watch them get shredded, they, we watched them get shredded. But whatever right, happened right. at the end, harder they come was this like hard cut to bikini girl <laughs> dancing to reggae music. And I, I don't know. I feel like it undercuts like the, the heft. That I'm supposed it to does. Feel. Yeah, you're right. Uh, maybe they ran out of funding at that point. I, I don't know. Did you get that <laughs> feel? I got the feel like this is Emmett. And like it's that's that. Get out of here. And, and, and. <laughs> yeah. So and I that's just, a wrap I, on all of us. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> but I guess I kind of chalked it up to just kind of it, it had an amateurish feel. But to me, I kind of you know that's kind of the well, appeal. That's what kills me but, is I I start this movie and I'm talking. Cassavetes, I'm talking flying on the wall. I'm talking realism. I'm thinking choices for what yeah. they've done. And I really feel it. And then at the end, it's just like, ah, did they run out of yeah. money? Is that what really happened? Like, did they <laughs> run out of like 30 more seconds of footage to like yeah. put the button on it? You know, I don't know. What do you think, Matt? I don't know. It, it does kind of have, I don't know. It doesn't feel. It feels like it's a different kind of ending. It feels like it's a B movie ending where it's like, uh, I mean, it definitely ramps up and then you mean ends at the conclusion. Right? There's not a, there's not like a denouement or any kind of like, here's, here's like the, here's Jamaica after this happened kind of shit. Like it ends no. when he dies. Well, uh, I, maybe it's a juxtaposition then. But like I think I I think that like just kind of maybe the clash of murder murder is probably the wrong thing but like death in a hail of bullets mm-hmm. and then just like dancing bikini it's like well there you go that's the 70s ending to a movie what do you want <laughs> <laughs> It's what would have happened to Bond yeah. Right, like maybe it might have been like there's a big Bond Jamaica connection like that might be it for all we know like I don't yeah. know I think it's a juxtaposition to like, this is the real gritty Jamaican life. And this guy is the real Jamaican that's led. He's tried in Jamaica culture is like, he wasn't able to get a leg up, but then the, the bikini and the torso, like gyrating and stuff like that. Like, that's what we think of Jamaica 
is like it's this tourist spot and it's all like let's do the limbo and you know like let's have a rum and you know and dance on the beach like so to me it, it could be that they were going for an attempt at a juxtaposition of this like Mm. real gritty life versus the tourist American life. Like, okay. You know, like it could to me, it would have been better if they would have shown like a liner cruiser ship coming in on the same beat, you know, but a nearby. Okay. What if, what if they don't linger on it? Because, uh, that's like, there's nothing to see here. This happens every day. Every day. Yeah. I like mm. that. Life, life goes on. It's People good. are dancing. Yep. Like that's it. <laughs> Yep. A hit is a hit, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to talk about to talk about the song selection for a little, or I guess the variety yeah. maybe. Like earlier yeah. on earlier on uh Heather mentioned like how it opens with like so many songs <laughs> so yeah. early on. I yeah. hadn't there was a really big gap between like watching it recently and the last time I saw it. And I did not remember that. Not that I would have anyway. But like watching it again, I was like, oh, God, that's a lot of songs. How do, yeah. man, That's not sustainable. And then I'm like, oh, they're going to just keep playing. But like, honestly, <laughs> um, <laughs> but but honestly, like the I think the impact is after that movie, those songs are so familiar to you. Yeah, because you've already heard them a second time. Like you're they're already familiar in the context of the film. And that gives them such a big presence in the culture. And looking at that soundtrack, the actual songs on the soundtrack, those are some of the absolute biggest songs in reggae. Yeah. <laughs> from, <laughs> like from that period, at least. But like from re in reggae. Actually, that brings us to another one of our call-ins, another member of our new film club. Uh, we got here Mitta Goodwin from the This Is Sky radio show. Uh, wanted to call in. Uh, here he goes. B. Hi, this is Mitta Goodwin, host of This Is Ska, hearing on three dozen stations around the world. We're talking about The Harder They Come. I personally didn't see the movie until about a decade after it came out in the mid-80s, but my father had bought the soundtrack early on, and so I was just fascinated by it. Listened to it over and over again, and so later on, when two-tone hit in the late 70s, early 80s, I was already familiar with many of the songs that were being played and delved even deeper. In 1984, I was obsessed with the movie. I would rent it from the library or check it out from the library and watch it on repeat. And uh, that was really a big interject introduction to Jamaican rocksteady ska and the culture. And uh, couldn't look back. Uh, I mean, every just about every song on the soundtrack is a uh, is a hit. From "Get It If You Really Want" by Jimmy Cliff to the Maytals' "Sweet and Dandy," Johnny Too Bad by the Slackers or Slickers, Desmond Decker's "Shanty Town," "Pressure Drop" again by the Maytals. Just song after song. Thanks again for doing the podcast and enjoy. So yeah, Heather, when when did you say uh, you experienced the soundtrack in relation to the film? So I definitely was familiar with the soundtrack before. I I listened to the soundtrack before the film. You know, all of these songs. I think I listened to well, not all of them, but like most all of them, if not all of them, I listened to outside of the soundtrack. 
too. It's not like I was like, I'm going to get this soundtrack and listen to all these cool songs. It was like, I was familiar with Pressure Drop and, you know, and, and Johnny Too Bad from other, you know, other compilations or whatever I was listening to. Cause I don't, I was born in 72. So I can't, uh, if I had been young enough to have been like, I don't know, 20 in 1972 or something like that and experienced it as like, I'm going to listen, I'm going to watch this movie and, oh, listen to all this great music. And, you know, if that had, had that kind of a, an effect on me, that would have been, I think, super cool. Because that's what I, you know, I think that's what Perry Hensel was, one of his objectives is to, to you know, put really good music in this soundtrack so that people could then be introduced to this music this way. Well, I was just going to say, like, if this movie had bad music, it would be really authentic to this movie. It's <laughs> like, there's not like you can, you know that the people in this world aren't around bad music. Uh, like it would be so awkward if it was like a shit soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> attention to this movie if it weren't for the soundtrack well so yeah that's part of it is like yeah i think it's really easy to write this movie off as amateur but yeah. i look at it under an analytical lens because of the reggae because of the music that matters to me and so then because i look at it a little closer do i see the other things yeah otherwise i would have just like eh. like it really is yeah. easy to yeah. dismiss this as like a low budget like as you would a regular like horror movie, just like, oh yeah, they're having fun. Yeah. The the music makes you look harder. The looking harder makes you see more. Right. And I'm very grateful that, that we looked a little harder. Yeah, me too. One. And I'm glad we yeah. started with this one. I think there's a lot more to it than the meets the eye. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too that as many times as we've all seen it here, like we still have a lot of questions about it. And we're still curious about things and seeing new things every time we watch it too. So I think that's a real testament to the quality of the film. So I guess we should ask, is this movie Scott Cannon? Scott Cannon is a segment where we, a podcast film club, look at the musical and cultural impact and decide whether or not the harder they come is essential viewing for all Scott people everywhere. Heather, does Scott people need to see this movie? Oh, I say 100%. Yes. Yes. Soundtrack, soundtrack alone. Yes, definitely. Because um, I think that what you learn from this film is really a, like, you know, a fictional, but snapshot that's fairly accurate that you would need to have this kind of as a foundation to really appreciate the music deeper. Yeah, Matt, can you imagine, or can you imagine having a, an appreciation of Scott without seeing this movie? Well, I can imagine thinking you have an appreciation for Scott <laughs> without seeing this movie. This is, yeah, I think that this is such a, like a foundational 
thing, partly because it's like the first film made by Jamaicans for Jamaicans in Jamaica, like with and like the fact that it's got a at the time not superstar but now reggae superstar as the mm. the protagonist and this like absolutely out of this world like the soundtrack is one of the best albums of all time and it's an al- yeah. a soundtrack yeah. for a, a a movie made in Jamaica yeah. like uh like it's a stunning piece of like Jamaican culture that's connected yeah. to this music like there's yeah. i feel like there's no way you can't make this an essential part of like i mean i'm not judging anybody that hasn't seen it that doesn't want to see it but like this is clearly an essential part of it of it no and i think i think that's like like, part of what mida was talking about in his call was just like this like finding it and wearing it out like um, yeah i feel like finding this movie was kind of a rite of passage like there was a lot of blockbusters a lot of hollywood videos a lot of videotape stores rental stores when I was a youth, but you had to ask every single one of them, (laughs) do you have harder they come? Like saying those words, it's not a fun title to say to some like (laughs) video store clerk. It sounds nasty. That's in the back room in the adult section, sir. (laughs) uh, No, no, I swear. It's about reggae. I'm cool. I'm sorry. The the gay harder they come. (laughs) No, and it really, I really do feel like, like it was something like you heard about, you had to go see, and once you saw it, like it really did change how you visualize Jamaican music. Like it's one thing to hear, you can hear all the Jamaican music you want, but once you see that studio, once you see like how just sweaty everybody is, and once you see what a yard looks like, and just like, I don't know. It just like, it it really does affect so much to see it. It's the context. It was like the first context. It gives you the context. It was like the first context for most people. Definitely. All right. So um, as far as we're going to start putting movies into the canon, I say we're going to put Harder They Come in, correct? Yeah. Yes. Definitely. (laughs) Guys, we're doing a new show. We're just trying our best. No, is there is there uh, anything else we need to to add here about Heart of the Come? Are there any like stray thoughts or anything that we didn't? Oh well, uh, I I was doing some googling, okay. uh, and I found a a quote in the Guardian from Carl Bradshaw, who played Jose in the film. Yeah, and uh, he said the Heart of the Come did end up triggering the Jamaican film industry but it took four years to get the film finished. Island mm. Records founder Chris Blackwell had to come to the rescue with money and connections. Oh. Outside, wow. Finished okay. it. Outside, the, outside Kingston, the film took off very slowly. When, Fer, when Perry first took it to England, there was no audience. He put up posters and gave away seats. Then the magic started. And I oh. apparently need to pay to see what the magic was. So, but it needed that like <laughs> promotional bump from Island Records. It came after the fact, not silent investor money at the beginning, which I was guessing at. No, that's but yes. Finishing Do you guys money. see the irony in this? Do you see the irony in this? It's like the harder they come is this little country muse, the little country film like Ivan. 
And it mm. needs a big time producer who's got all the power. Chris Blackwell <laughs> holds all the cards. And this was a success story, but not for Ivan. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's you fair. Know. Um, I did want to mention, I guess if we're talking stray thoughts, I did read and it was unsubstantiated. Alton Ellis plays a body double. I did read that too. Of Ivan at some point. I was about to say and that. The only time I hear anybody mention any body doubles for Ivan is in the fight scene. So I guess I have to ask, is that Alton Ellis in the fight with Longa? Mm. Like, I guess shot from the back, maybe. I don't know what that. Like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a very quickly, you know, roughly shot scene. So um, I didn't go back and like freeze frame anything, but like. All right. So, so if you're if you're a listener, go ahead and get a get a screenshot. Get a screen cap of Elton Ellis. Show us. Show us. I bet you can. I bet somebody out there can do it. Yeah. Compare it to your own picture at home of Alton <laughs> Ellis's hind quarter and see if it, it happens to match. Yes. <laughs> uh, we'll go through the 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 3D database of all known <laughs> photos of Alton Ellis. <laughs> Everybody's got a poster of him with a knife shot from the back. Right? <laughs> Well, this concludes uh, this, the first episode of the Horn Pod Film Club, and we're very excited to have you here. We're going to do one a month. Um, Hopefully, we're, I think we're shooting for the first Monday of the month. Yeah. And um, I don't know. Do you want to push back Dance Craze? You want to do something else? Should we talk about this real quick? Yeah, we were supposed to do that because we were, we wanted to do Dance Craze, but we don't want to, we were talking about doing it after the DVD was out. Because that's coming out. Yeah, I just pre-ordered the soundtrack. Did you? Ooh. Yeah, they remastered it. The the footage looks nice. I don't know, sometime in February, I think. I don't know. Okay, we should definitely push it back. So what? let's pick another movie real quick. I was thinking Gross Point might set the pace real nice. Okay, that'd be great. Explicitly yes, Scott, yes, yes, yes. But it also is like what I'm trying to do. Too, let's do right? Gross Point Blank. First Monday of the month, and for March, we're going to discuss Gross Point Blank from, I think, 1997? Mm-hmm. So uh, go ahead and give that a fresh viewing, and we'll we'll throw up some links here pretty soon on where you might be able to check that out, and uh, give us a call with your thoughts and memories and maybe even conversational prompts at 16 HornPod 15. And if you enjoy this, I encourage you to go back and check out our back catalog where Matt and I talk ska and all of this kind of thing ad nauseum mostly records mostly not movies heather you're the best i appreciate you accommodating us and everything thank you so much for having me it was really fun to just kind of chat and hang out and think with you guys it was really fun it's fun to think with you too <laughs> can't think of anybody i want to think with and you really and you really class up the place honestly like you bring some you bring some dignity to this to this little ragtag uh npr wannabe ah <laughs> shucks thanks so hey i i'm matt wixon and i'm a big film fan thanks goodbye <laughs> Bye.
like Michigan. Michigan's a pretty cool state. It is. Indiana is not. Indiana is not that. <laughs> Indiana sucks. <laughs> I lived uh, a lot of years in Indiana when I was a little kid. And, really? Uh, Where? In, it's a little hog town. No one's ever heard of it that I've talked you about. You have to hog town. Hog town. <laughs> hey, yeah. the, the two of you in from being Indi- from Indiana is a grand falloon. I will have none of this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Nice. I, yeah. had to, I had to get a Vonnegut in while you were I out. love it. I love it. Absolutely. You know your Hoosiers. <laughs> very, very good. 